We have three lovely people coming to talk to tell you their stories, and tonight we're going to do a little something a little bit different um, with one of them. Lindsay's has a specific piece of her story that she's going to get to tell, um, but the other two are going to talk about just what God has done with them through their life, and um, I love it because each one of us has a story. God has given that to us, to each and every one of us, and he has worked in our lives uniquely and generally to draw us to him and to put us in the position and the places that we have been in and, and where we currently are. And it's just a huge encouragement to me to hear these stories. And so I'm really stoked to get to hear this. Um, God wrote the Bible through a lot of different people and he's not currently writing the Bible, but he's currently writing the, writing the life of the church by the people that, that you encounter that are fellow Christians and even those who are not Christians. And so that this is a part of what Story Night is, is we get to be a part, we get to listen to what God is writing on the hearts of our friends and the people that we know from SCUM. And so before we start out, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Matt Jorgensen up. So bow with me, please. God, thank you for loving us, for guiding us, for, for orchestrating our lives. God, I pray that you would be glorified tonight through the stories that we hear. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and to see how you have worked. Um, I pray that, that as these people speak, that we would feel the resonance within our own hearts and within our own souls to the ways that you've worked in our lives. God, I pray that through this we would be able and willing to share the ways that you have worked in and through us. And I thank you for Christy and Lindsay and Matt, and I pray that you would give them the words to say and and that you would use them in our lives. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Matthew. My doves. Um, my name is Matthew Jorgensen. Uh, welcome to my life. Um, so I'm going to talk briefly about kind of events that have formed me. Um, so I grew up in a a Christian home. The this the middle child of five boys. Um, so I got two older and two younger brothers, which makes me um, special, center, neglected, um, balanced, middle child stuff. Um, but um, when I was growing up, um, I guess sin appeared early on in my life in the forms of um, uh, youthful perversion and uh, petty thievery, and um, and you know those things affected me early on. I think and uh, had a, had a darkening effect on me as I as I kind of went forward, got into high school. Um, I had homeschooled, 
a lot before that, and so going into public high school was pretty abrasive. Uh, turns out I didn't have quite the same work ethic, had kind of gaps in my education, didn't really understand the concept of homework, because before that, it was like I'd do my work till noon, and then I was done, and I'd play. But in public school, it turns out you have to go to school for eight hours, and then they want you to do more, which I didn't understand. So instead of um, participating, I sort of just uh, got really overwhelmed, got really depressed. Um, in high school, um, I kind of began to get a very acute sense of kind of that sense of meaninglessness that's talked about in Ecclesiastes, if you guys have ever read this um, ancient Hebrew existentialism. It's, it's, it's good, but it's also really sorrowful. And this, this everything is meaninglessness phrase, just like rolling through me and over me um, as a young man. Uh, so high school was rough. Like, it was all darkness. And I had a lot of friends, kind of. But what I really had was a lot of acquaintances that um, kind of knew me and, like, liked me. So maybe I was, like, even popular to a certain degree. But, like, I didn't understand how to connect with people on a deep level. Um, I knew how to be funny, um, to be eccentric, to be nice. Um, and so this, you know, won the affection of, of many people, but it kind of left me feeling empty because I didn't know how to open myself up um, on a deeper level to the people that cared about me and that I cared about. So just greater heaviness, greater depression. Um, when I finished high school, um, it got worse because all of my friends and or acquaintances, a couple of them were friends. Welcome, you guys. Sit down. You're the reason I'm speaking first. Thanks. Go on. Just bring it on up. Just bring it on up. Amen. Um, yeah, so after high school, darkness increases. Um, I had this period of living in my parents' basement while all my friends had gone to universities. And I was like going to community college. And then... Basically, I didn't have any more distractions from my own solitude. I didn't have any more distractions from my sense of loneliness. Um, so it just got rough. Like, just super reclusive. Read lots of spiritual literature and some Lord of the Rings. And, you know, that helped a little bit. But it was not an easy time. I was just immensely alone and... Uh, this is about the time I started going to Scum of the Earth Church. This is 10 years ago, like 2002. Uh, that's 11 years ago. So started going to Scum of the Church Earth, and 
there was a sermon series that someone had initiated called Sex on Tap. It was a summer of sermons regarding sexual relational brokenness, things of that nature. Um, so at this point, I kind of, through that, started also confronting this issue of, of attraction to men. And I'm like, well, i got to come to grips with this because, you know, I'm a Christian, but Christians aren't gay, but I really am attracted to men. And so what do you do about that? Like, what the heck does that mean? So um, fortunately, Mr. Michael Sayers is a, a great sounding board for me and has been for about a decade and just like verbal processing this stuff. And like, how do you, I don't know, how do I deal with life? And so he's been a really big blessing in my life for just dealing with that. Um, another source of darkness for Matthew was a, um, like the futility of school and work and like this process of doing busy work after busy work for approval, and then, um, and then you get into college and you do some more busy work, and and then you get a job you probably won't like, and your life is sad. But that's what I foresaw at least, and I I just didn't understand. It's I didn't value it. I didn't value the system. I didn't get it. So I was not a good student, and I barely, barely slid through high school. Um, um, eventually, many things happened, but I kind of had an epiphany where I wanted to wait back up three steps. Um, I was working in an office job, like shuffling paperwork, doing the, the office space thing with memos and emails and what have you. Um, I kind of came to a place where I was just like, all right, God, I, I like literally laying on my face praying and was like, God, I hate my life and I would like you to end it or please change it, alter it drastically. Um, and I, I, I prayed that several times for a summer because I was super low for a long while and um, you know, I kept on plotting through community college. It ended up being five years there, and I didn't get the two-year degree. Um, and, and then I transferred to a four-year institute. Overall, it took me eight years to get an undergrad degree, but I did it. So if you feel bad, you just remember, Matt took eight years. It's kind of a long time. Um, but I had an epiphany at some point that I wanted to become a potter, I had started taking art classes and ceramics, and I was studying interior design. Um, eventually, I uh, went away to art school, and kind of through this process, God starts like redeeming the concept of work in my life through the idea of craft. This this concept of applying a generous attention to detail to do something really well. And um, I'd always been inspired by objects and art and, and the material world I'm enamored with. Um, so learning to manipulate these, these materials, I start to see something of the goodness that work can be, that it's not all a curse. It's not all 
it's not all meaninglessness. Um, and also, when I'm at art school, I start to realize that I can't be autonomous um, spiritual being anymore. I can't be reclusive Matthew who seems okay and deals without everybody's without anybody's help. Um, turns out that doesn't work very well, um, but I didn't get it. Like it, it's it's still like this continuing process of learning that that. I'm needy, and I have to, like, rely on a community of people to just be a a normal functioning human. Um, And additionally, to be a man who's, like, wanting to be transformed into um, a more Christ-like person. So I find that the more I kind of accept this neediness, this... um, inadequacy in myself in all things the more I can kind of share that burden with the people around me and not be so isolated and uh, this is a continuing lesson but hugely important for me and I've noticed that somehow over the process of 10 years I've gone from uh, utter darkness to looking at life as a gift. Um, I don't want to die anymore, which is a miracle. It's pretty cool um, to see that in me, to know that I just desperately wanted things to end, and now I don't have to operate under that that weight of horror anymore. Um, and there's ne- there wasn't any, like, Instant turning point. Um, There's been just a lot of ups and downs and God continuing to like pull me out of um, isolation and into the light. Um, I'm I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the concept of of craft and beauty is uh, something that God is using to make me more whole. Um, so I'm going to just end with a little a psalm that has encouraged me a bit. It is Psalm 27, 3, no, 13 through 14. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. That's all. Also, I just got an iPhone, so I can um, time myself. So I'm just, I'm really a techie, so don't worry about it. I'm not. Um, My name is Christy Spitzer, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Christy Spitzer. And... (laughs) 
I work part-time here at SCUM. I'm the kind of administrative girl, so I make my answer emails and do awesome data entry and weasel my way into cooking for stuff because that's what I really love doing. Um, I'm the wife of this dreamboat down here in the red and gray stripes. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and also we have an awesome little son who had the red hood on and he's great. Um, so this story is not about how I came to know Jesus. I did. Um, <laughs> but Thank you. Um, no, <laughs> no, I, I came to know Jesus. I don't even know when I, I, I grew up with really wonderful Christian parents and, um, in a kind of unique, weird, but cool Christian community. I grew up on the campus of a Christian boarding school, so I was a little fact brat. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it was this awesome Christian community, and it was consistency and um, but uniqueness. And so there were all these different people expressing different versions of the faith, and it was great. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that might define <laughs> my earlier walk with Christ. Oh, heck, it's just part of who I am now. I'm a firstborn. <laughs> Thank you. And I like to control things. <laughs> so um, early on, well, there are many family videos of young Christiane. And um, so early on in the summers, my mom would, it was really fun, but she would let each of us kids have $5 to go to the dollar store and we could buy props for our homemade movies that we wrote the skits for. And mine were always very elaborate murder mysteries where I was the old widow who had a $20 million necklace. And somehow the lights went out and someone stole it from me. So that was the plot. It was a very, like, you know, page turner. Um, anyway, my sweet little sister was so shy and wonderful. <laughs> there are three of us. And so there's so many Sawyer family videos of me like, ah, 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 and my mom would turn the camera to try to focus on my sister a little bit. And, and she would just, you know, maybe be singing a little song. And then in the background, you would see. <laughs> look at me, look at me. So anyway, that's kind of defined a little bit of how I work with God. Um, so I think the cycle of faith for me kind of has been Christy trying to control, God humbling and saying, I don't think so. And then finally, after me kicking a little bit and getting pissed off, um, in the end, I, in retrospect, am able to say, okay, fine, you knew what you were doing. Um, so there are a lot of examples of that. Um, one was, believe it or not, I was single all throughout high school and college. I know. I know. Can you believe it? Um, I was pissed off about this. I did not think this, this should be the case. But um, <laughs> looking back on it, I am so thankful that that's what God had in store for me. Because check that boy out. Who could even compare? Oh. <laughs> um God also knew what was best for me uh, in the applying to college process. I, I had no clue. I, I grew up on the campus of a boarding school, so I was just like, I want the college that looks the best on a sweatshirt. 
So I applied to Dartmouth, and I thought I was going to be so cool. And I got on the wait list. Like, I got on the wait list. And the day that I didn't, got kicked off the wait list and did not get in, I was such a dramatic 17-year-old. Like, just, just bawling. No, Jesus, why? Um, but, of course, he knew that the little liberal arts college where I ended up was going to be the best fit for me. And the people I met and the experiences I had, like, it was just awesome. Um, after college, <laughs> um, you know, if I had gone to Dartmouth, I probably would have had an amazing job. Well, yeah, probably. I don't know. Who knows? You never know. Um, but I thought that my amazing English lit degree, I mean, hello, guys, English lit. Um, <laughs> I know. I didn't realize at the point at the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I just... I thought I was going to land a thousand jobs, and my parents were moving to Nashville from New York, and so I was going to move there. Um, and I was had been applying to all these teaching jobs because, of course, they'd want to hire me. I have my BA in English Lit. Um, <laughs> but lo and behold, that summer I started dating the Dreamboat, and he really, really knew that God wanted him to go to Denver. And I was like, No, I don't want to. I don't want to go to Denver. I'm going to go to Nashville. Um, but thankfully, because of much joblessness. I had freedom to be like, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Okay, I'm following you. Um, and so, and the same thing happened when I started applying to jobs out here in Denver. I thought my lit degree was going to work, but it didn't. And so I had four stubborn months of going into debt, thinking that people were just going to hire me because I'm awesome. And so finally I got over myself and um, climbed the ladder at Starbucks and eventually became a Starbucks manager, which I'm not anymore. But um, it, it was so good for me, and I learned things that I'm good at and things that I'm really not good at, and I don't want to work in the restaurant industry, FYI. So <laughs> I learned all this. Um, the biggest, most recent reminder of God's way being better than Christie's controlling way is when we were trying to get pregnant with Emmett. Each month leading up to the magical conception of Emmett, sorry, that sounds so gross. <laughs> Dreamboat. <laughs> um, <laughs> each, I know, I'm sorry. Okay, each month leading up to that, I, I was pissed off. And I'm like, really, Lord, why can I not get pregnant? And it wasn't until I had my awesome son that I realized, like, oh, my gosh, the genetic makeup or whoever that child would have been in all those months, it wouldn't have been Emmett. And Probably would have been kind of cool, but it wouldn't have been Emmett. And he's amazing. Like, I love that little boy. And so um, I think my faith walk has been these series of, like, events of God proving himself enough so that I'm like, wow, okay, I really do believe that your way is best. And you are the life everlasting. And, um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I really... I click with verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Um, so I am so grateful for that part of my journey. But recently I've kind of realized like just looking back on those moments and trusting in God kind of gets rid of the day-to-day -day stuff a little bit. Um, you know, like, I can look back and be like, oh, my gosh, that was so cool how God kept me from dating other 
guys. And yeah, it is awesome that he did that. But like, what does that mean for every single day living with him? And um, my go-to Psalm was always Psalm 139. Um, Well, it still is. But the big thing, um, the big closing verse of that is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I think I always saw the way everlasting as like these big life events. And those would be the things that would determine the way everlasting for me. But I, for the past few months, I've just been realizing the way everlasting is every single day. Like it's not just this big life-altering decision down the road and that's where the way will go, but it's every single day. Um, So... My sister-in-law gave me this awesome book for Christmas called A Thousand Gifts by Anne Voskamp. I don't know if that's how you say her last name. Um, But it's kind of, it's her way of processing. She had a friend uh, dare her to write a list of 1,000 things that she was grateful for. Um, So it's cool because as she's reading it, she kind of moves beyond like, I'm thankful for my husband and my kids and my health, and goes on to, like, she just starts noticing everything around her. Um, So, like, number 767 is, I am grateful for the way my floorboards sleep. Or one day, and also, she's one of those ladies who has six kids and has a farm and is a mom. Okay, sorry, side note. But in the midst of raising six kids on a farm and doing all that stuff, um, she even is taking time to stop and notice as she's washing dishes the way that the light perfectly hits a soap bubble and then pops and explodes. And that, to her, is, wow, that is beauty, and that is God. And he created that little moment. Um, So for her, um, she said that writing this list and recognizing that stuff, she moves into God's presence, listens to his love and unending and knows the grace uncontainable. And the whole point of the book is that she's realizing that deep, holy, God-given joy, it comes from the table of Thanksgiving. Um, She says that Thanksgiving is the manifestation of our yes to his grace, and that's our way of returning to Jesus with everything in our lives, falling at his feet and thanking him. So that's kind of where I am right now, is I'm just... I think I've stopped waiting for the next big thing and to see what God will do with that and just realizing, wow, he is in every single moment here. Like, this shadow is really cool how it goes across my note. Okay, that's, well, I'm not that creative, so I don't see, like, shadows. and But, you know, little things like that, like this moment in and of itself is beautiful and made by God in so many different ways. And if I weren't taking time to stop and think about that, I probably wouldn't even realize how God is being so good and gracious and beautiful. So where I am right now is that I am in awe of, and I just want to be like Paul when he says that he has learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I also want to be like King David. (laughs) Um, Well, except for some of the bad stuff. Um, (laughs) But in Psalm 16, he says... um, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I hope this encourages you and just to go down and give thanks for God, 
even in crappy situations, look for some one little thing. And, and I really believe that he, he responds to this with a gift of joy and being pleased with us. So, Lindsay Blackstone. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Lindsay, and I am nervous, so bear with me. And I didn't prepare a dance like she said. Um, let me get situated. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a scripture in James. It's James 1, 27 and 28. Religion that is pure and unblemished before God our Father is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself clean from the sins of the world. Um, If you search the Bible from front to back, you'll find a lot of issues that are close to the Lord's heart. Um, But you'll also notice a couple of groups that pretty often come up throughout the Bible Um, these groups appear so often that it kind of makes you think that the Lord wants you to pay attention to these people. Um, And those two groups are orphans and widows. Um, For those of you that know me and know me well, this next statement may be a bit shocking, but I did not like children for like 20 years of my life. Um, (laughs) I am a self-admitted like child fanatic now. If Mary Sayers was here, she probably wouldn't believe what I just said. But for most of my prime baby, like, sitting years, I wouldn't babysit. I avoided children. I didn't want really anything to do with them. Um, But when I started following Jesus, he brought out this passion and love for the little ones that was pretty noticeable. And, um, (laughs) yeah, people that know me would know that. And so... When I was 19 years old is when I gave my life to Jesus, and um, I didn't quite know what this passion for children was going to mean. Um, When I gave birth to my beautiful little son, Jack Pine, he obviously, um, that was a beautiful moment where I felt like this is what the Lord has created for me in this moment to be a mother. Um, But through some other series of events, I, it's become very apparent that being a mother is not all that the Lord wants to do with this passion and this love he's given um, to me. So the story I want to share with you guys is about how the Lord brought 29 beautiful little Indian girls into my life, and I would love to talk about them with you. So it all started about seven years ago. Um, many of you may be familiar with Samaritan's Purse. Um, it's an organization that tries to show God's love to children all over the world through packing of little shoeboxes. Operation Christmas Child, some of you may have done it. You um, pack up a box full of gifts, send it to Samaritan's Purse. You include a $5 check for the postage, and they end up sending this box of gifts to children all over the world. Um, You don't know where the the box is going. You just know that um, a child will receive it, and you can pray for that box. So this is something that my family often did. We did it around Christmas time. Um, we did it 
I did it with college friends. We would just pack up boxes, and it was just um, a nice way to um, try to give give to children from all over. Um, and like I said before, you don't know where this box would go. Well, um, seven years ago, a shoebox showed up to um, an orphanage in Southeast Asia. Um, the box arrived to the home of James and Sarah and their two biological daughters, Nixa and Ninu. Um, James and Sarah and the two girls live in South India in a town called Kozakodi. And for many, many years, James and Sarah felt very, very drawn by the Lord to love on the little girls in their community. Um, unfortunately, in a lot of the cultures in India, um, girls are not wanted. They are, um, they, um, very, very often when a little girl is born, the parents either get rid of her or, or they kill her. Um, there are quite a few stories that I could, I could share that will break your heart and piss you off. Um, one particular story, um, that James and Sarah had shared was, that there was a man in their community that his wife gave birth to a little girl, and he was very mad and went to take the little girl to drown her in the river um, and, I guess, try again for a boy. Um, and so James got wind of this and begged the man to give the little girl to him and his wife um, to raise her. And this is how their orphanage was founded. Um, Every little girl at that orphanage bears a story like that um, and how they came to this place. But praise Jesus for um, James and Sarah and for opening their little plot of land to, um, to the Lord's mission to love on orphans. So um, this wonderful campus and this um, couple, James and Sarah, just happened to receive one of these boxes that my family had packed up. And by a mistake um, on Operation Christmas Child's part, they forgot to take the $5 check out of the box that was to cover the postage. And so James and Sarah got the box and opened it, and they saw a $5 check. And to them, five U.S. dollars was a lot of money, and they should not keep this. They were not to have this, and they didn't know what to do. And as you guys know, on checks, your your address is in the corner, and so they felt they needed to return this check to the rightful owner. So a few months later, um, kind of unbeknownst to us, we kind of our family had hadn't really thought about the box we had sent earlier. We received um, a letter from South India. Um, and in the letter was our uncashed check and a letter thanking us for the box we sent, explaining who they were, sharing some of the stories of the girls. And um, my stepmom just was thrilled to know how cool is this to know where our, our box went. And so she, she wrote back. And then James and Sarah wrote back again. And then my dad wrote a letter. And then I started to write a letter. And my sister started to write a letter. And uh, before you knew it, uh, we these this was our family um, over in India. We um, wrote letters on a weekly basis. We sent gifts. We prayed for the girls. We um, 
James and Sarah started sharing with us the needs of, of the campus. Um, they physically, it's, it's funny, Todd and I are doing renovations in our home to have a, a room for each of, of the children that we want to have and, and at the orphanage there. Um, they physically had no more space to put beds um, in the one room they had and, and they were sharing with us the need that they hope that they can um, build a roof over one of the buildings that they were sleeping in so that they could properly house more girls. Um, and all of this, and, and they wanted vitamins. In India, you have to have a prescription from a doctor just to get vitamins. And, and they were just sharing all these needs. And so we started to send money directly to James and Sarah and sending gifts and items. And, and people found that to be strange because we didn't know where the money was going, but we knew. We, we, we knew the Lord was in this. And so... Um, over, over time, the orphanage, we started sharing this with others. Um, my, my dad started telling people at his church, my stepmom started, um, telling her, her quilting group ladies and, um, my coworkers started to get excited about this. And, uh, before we knew it, I mean, we had droves of money coming in for this orphanage. My dad's church did a fundraiser and built a brand new building on the campus of this orphanage. An extremely wealthy coworker of mine not only bought the property next door that already had a home for to house more girls, he started college funds to send the girls to college when they graduated. Um, I mean, this, it's, the stories go on. Um, my dad ended up buying them a, a bus so they could take the girls through the jungle and just all these unbelievable things. Um, and today, 29 girls um, can call this orphanage their home, um, and they have three full-time staff, and it's unbelievable. Um, so for seven years, my family had this privilege to share in James and Sarah's mission of reaching these orphans in South India, all because of a mistake by a $5 check being left in a shoebox. Um, and so as these seven years went by, we had never met these people. We had never in person met James or Sarah or any of the girls. And we always talked about as a family how we'd love to go and be a part of this and see. But each time we talked about buying a $1,200 plane ticket, we would just list off all the things that $1,200 could do. Um, in India, and so we never went. Um, but about two years ago, I received an email from James, and it was titled, Dear Mom and Dad, who are my stepmom and dad, and Dear Sis Lindsay and Brother Todd. And that's about as far as I got, and I picked up the phone and I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, we have to, we have to meet these people. <laughs> we have to go. And um, my dad is a very logical person, and I'm a very logical um, left brain person. <laughs> um, and we went through like, well, for 1200, that would send two girls to college for a year. That would buy, um, three different vehicles that could do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden we just realized all that was tangible. And what about the intangible? And we went through all the immediate needs of the girls in the orphanage were, were met at the time. And we decided maybe we should try to go. And um, 
I had a newborn child that was very ill. My, my stepmother had just had heart surgery. There were a lot of things that um, could have prevented us from going, but there was a part of, of me that felt like we needed to go. And once we started to put pen to paper and try to map out actually going to India, things just fell into place. We got amazing deals on flights. Um, Todd's mom was able to come out, and she's a children's nurse, and she was able to stay with with Jack and, and take care of him. And so um, on March 21st, last month, my dad and I went 9,000 miles across the country to um, go to this orphanage for the first time. And we arrived about 4.30 in the morning, and all the girls stayed up all night and were um, – <clears throat> They had lined the, the dirt road into the orphanage, and they all had these fake little plastic flowers. <laughs> um, and they're all very tiny people, and my dad's over six foot, and I'm five foot nine, and it was super hot, and we were just these big, sweaty white people <laughs> walking in, in between these beautiful, beautiful girls. Um, and it, I just, I can't even explain it. Um, to most people, their campus, um, concrete buildings, bucket showers, just beds lined up next to each other, that would be pretty depressed. But it was literally like walking onto a piece of heaven. Um, they, it's so funny because they just, they just sit there and, and tell us what the Lord's done and, and how thankful they are and my dad just kept saying, sending money is the easy part. Like, what you guys do, that is what, that is what's amazing. And they touched us beyond words that we could even say. And um, I'm just going to share one more story. But um, we, spent, we spent a week there and played, taught them how to play soccer and braided hair and did Bollywood dances and just it was it was just it was one of the best weeks of my life and um the girls would go to school for the day and as they were coming home from school they walked they were walking down the dirt road to the orphanage and a woman stopped and said oh you poor orphans you have no family and one of the girls um visibly got angry and said what do you mean i don't have a family i have a mom and a dad and i have 28 sisters and Grandpa and auntie came from the United States to see me and got pissed because she does have family. And um, I became Auntie Lindsay to 29 little girls. Todd is Uncle Redbeard because <laughs> they don't know <laughs> what a red beard looks like. So, And um, they, they had gotten all these, printed off all these pictures of fat white babies um, and put them, like, as welcome banners in the room where I stayed because Baby Jack is a fat white baby, and they love Baby Jack. And it... <laughs> so it um, so it was just my dad and I that were there, and it was the most blessed um, trip, and I, I hope that I can go back, but um, we just kept talking about how we had eternity and we had heaven um, together. 
And so if, if I don't get to go back, if I don't get to take Uncle Redbeard and the fat white baby with me, um, we do have heaven together. And so um, this, this story I share with you wasn't necessarily the, the time where I first met Jesus, but it was absolutely a time where I met Jesus in a way that I had never experienced before and saw his, his heart and love for every child in this world. And um, I am forever changed by this. And um, as, I, as I continue to read the Bible and, and hear God continually bring up his um, love for these orphans, it, it has become something that has been placed on my heart. And I, I now know why, because I get to be Auntie Lindsay um, to all these little girls. So. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Matt, Christy, and Lindsay. Um, I love tonight. I love these stories. I, these are friends of mine that I've known for at least a few years, each one of them. And it's amazing to hear how God has worked. And I encourage you to, to tell your stories, to tell each other your stories, and to ask each other how God has worked in your lives. <laughs> Christy talks about the, it's the day in and day out. Matt talks about the way that God has done a miracle in helping him to enjoy life. And Lindsay talks about how a $5 check like change the lives of not only herself, but so many people. And God works in miraculous ways. Each one of these stories is a miracle, and each one of us has a miracle in our lives. And God wants to continue to, to do that through us and in us. And so I just, yeah, I encourage you to talk about this, to seek this, to be a part of what God is wanting to do.